On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. If they were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is cutting back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, step and score! Hello and welcome to the Left Wing Independent.ie's rugby podcast. I'm Will Slattery. Delighted to be joined, as always, by Luke Fitzgerald. Luke, hello. Will, hello. How are, how are you doing? Doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm a little hungry. I've left a lot of room for the humble pie I'm going to have to eat today after uh, my performance on last week's podcast. Scotland beating England. Uh, I predicted it, of course. Uh, no, obviously I didn't. Uh, I'm delighted to be welcomed by Rory O'Connor as well. We're running back last week's podcast as is because our, half of our predictions were so badly wrong. But to be fair, Rory, you were the one pushing uh, Scotland potential upset in England. Yeah, I mean, I also tipped Ireland to be well. So, you know, like I'm not going to sit here like some sort of, uh, I don't know, article. But uh, I don't know. There was something about like they could just as easily go and lose to Wales this week. You know, that's that's Scotland. That's kind of the point I was making. They're they're kind of a mad team. But I certainly didn't see England being that bad. Yeah, and just before we get into all the news of the day and last weekend and, and the match this weekend out in France set up so nicely, I think I think our sound engineer Gat teed up a little clip last weekend just so I really get what I deserve to to replay my my pig headedness. We we weren't that unhappy with Gav clipping this by the way <laughs> especially because you were left out of it Luke. Exactly. i'm completely cut out <laughs> scotland england's a weird fixture like scotland could take them on saturday scotland oh come on oh, like, come scotland, on. Yeah, scotland you've, never, been, you've been hurt before that's the that's give it a rest road like no, jesus wow that would that hurt yeah it's it's even worse as the back. Rory, I apologize. That's why you're the esteemed INM chief rugby correspondent, and I'm a lowly shock jock here uh, operating uh, with Luke. I've, uh, I've forgotten you've been that harsh on me. I thought I'd, I kind of blanked that out of my mind. Don't, yeah, like higher, higher, Jesus. Higher. Don't include me in your in your shock jock. I I don't. I'm I'm highly esteemed also, even though I got it completely wrong. You know what I mean? I, I don't drag me into the cesspit with you, Will. Yeah. Well, the good thing, as I was saying to Luke off air, they have to go and beat Wales this weekend, or I'll be vindicated once again. So the, the goal. Posts are always moving. That's why it's so beautiful. Uh, we'll get to Scotland England a little bit roared, but uh, first, the news of the day, obviously, I know you were in on that Johnny Sexton press conference earlier. Uh, a strange kind of controversial, as it was 24 hours, you had two doctors in, Fran- in France, two ne- neurologists, or, 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 or I think that's their field, one of whom had previously treated Johnny when he was over in wrestling, and he was the doctor who I think stood him down for 12 weeks before the Six Nations in 2015. You know, talking about Johnny and concussions and, and speculating even on the number he may have had. You know, Johnny came out today, was very kind of critical of the of the doctor who has since issued an apology. You know, what have you made of the last 24 hours and Johnny's reaction today? It, it's a very odd build-up to a test match. Yeah, well, firstly, I thought Sunday's game was, was particularly uh, physical and a little, a little, I was a little uncomfortable watching some elements of it. I, like, I loved it as a contest. Like I, I like this is the great dilemma with all this stuff because it was a really physical, tough game of rugby. But when you have two Irish players and two Welsh players going off with brain injuries, plus Robbie Henshaw went off and came back on, I mean that has to be a, a, something that triggers alarm bells because we should be seeing with all of the work that's going on into concussion and all the things we know. We and, and all the rule changes and the fact. I mean, sorry, we had a player sent off for for contact with the head as well. 
And then, you know, the, the ring rolls, Johnny Williams won that didn't, went unpunished. We can get into that later. With all of the things where the sport's supposed to be doing to deal with the issue, you would hope to see the level of those collisions come down and that in 2021, you would see a reduction in HIAs and all that sort of stuff. And that didn't happen last weekend. Obviously, every so often you get a game where it happens. And, and the way Ireland played, because they had 14 men, they kept the ball and they took it into contact. You know, it led to that. But it was a pretty physical game. And um, I think I certainly wouldn't discourage any neurologist or neuroscientists who has an opinion on the sport and the safety of the sport from the, talking about the sport and where it's going because the safer it is, the better it is. And, and we want that. I think where these two neuroscientists, they're both neurosurgeons, cross the line. I mean, if it wasn't France, Ireland, the French journalists would never have called them and we wouldn't have really gone there. But obviously the French journalists are looking for a line on a Monday. It's a long week. They call in neurosurgeons and they struck gold because both of them bit. And one of them um, treated Johnny Sexton, uh, Sherman, treated Johnny Sexton in 2015 as an independent medical officer for the LNR, the French League, and was the was the doctor or the neurosurgeon who put sat him out for 12 weeks at the end after that collision with Bastereau, I think, which led to him missing the rest of his racing career and coming back on the uh, for the 2015 World Cup. And he obviously has seen Johnny Sexton's file. He's talked to Johnny Sexton about his stuff. And Johnny Sexton rightly said today, I thought there was a, a, a patient-doctor confidentiality. And what Sherman did as well, which I think crossed massively crossed the line, was he started speculating about the number of concussions Johnny Sexton had. And the only people who know the amount of concussions that Johnny Sexton's had in his career are Johnny Sexton and his, and his physician and whoever he's talked to about it and his family or whatever. And that's his medical, private medical information. And while I am all in favour of transparency when it comes to this stuff, I think there are things that are private. And, you know, if, unless Johnny wants that information out there, and obviously if he did, he'd want it accurately out there. He says that was inaccurate. And Sherman has gone on to apologise. So... Johnny Sexton came out today, said he was saddened and surprised that someone would go out and speculate about that in public. And I think he was right to do so. He spoke briefly enough, but strongly enough about it. And there'll be more in tomorrow's, you know, there's a kind of a, the way press conferences work. There's a first bit that's for uh, websites and radio and TV, and that's out there already. And then there's kind of a held back bit that, that was on. And I asked him in that section about um, the seven day thing and whether why he feels he'll be okay within seven days with the rules, obviously, but people are uncomfortable with that. So there's more on that tomorrow, but the gist of it is that, that, that he thinks he's fine, that even though he, it looked quite uncomfortable when he was coming off, the way he reached out to the doctor as he came off, the length of time he was on the ground, he's ticked all the boxes he's supposed to tick within the rules of the game. There's a wider discussion about whether the, the game should allow players to come back after seven days. And I'm going to get into that with a neurosurgeon sur in Saturday's paper because it is a very valid topic. But for those, I think those French neuroscientists to talk about Johnny the way they did, Johnny Sexton the way they did this week, I think they crossed, well, certainly the guy who treated him crossed the line. And, you know, some people will say that they have an agenda because they're French. I don't know. I mean, I'd like maybe, certainly the French journalists just, we're, we're hot on it this week because it's Ireland and it certainly does increase the focus and tension around them this week and it dominated Ireland's press briefing today so you know it wrecked Johnny Sexton's head you know which was wrecked enough after the weekend it's in, in, in many ways I'm sure so um, sorry that's a long and rambly answer but um, yeah it's been it's quite bizarre that the build up to a to test match has been dominated by neurosurgeons it's a very strange place we're living in yeah, and I guess some of the focus on the seven-day uh, protocols is in the context of kind of Wayne Pivac immediately ruling out the two guys on his squad because they have a six-day turnaround. I think a lot of people were confused. Is it just one day the difference? And it appears so it is in the protocols that that one day can be the difference between playing the following weekend. So they're the protocols at the moment, Luke. And as from what Rudd said, there was kind of two issues that the French surgeons were talking about some of the issues around concussion and rugby and how quick people should be playing, which does seem, as Rudd said, to be a fair game. But then the other stuff, as Rudd said, speculating about your former patient and how many concussions he may have had. That was outrageous. We saw it quickly. The apology was issued. Um, you'd hope people just move on and recognise that someone's just after making a mistake. I think the issue is a very hot topic. Uh, rightly so. We are still trying to... And I think the experts are still trying to gather more information about this, the issues around this. Um, our sport is very physical. We're doing our best. 
but it's very difficult when people are tired, when people are trying to be aggressive for their team and do the right things to control all of the different scenarios that you're going to encounter in a game. It's just not possible, I think, is probably what we're figuring out. Um, and to, at the moment, there's no right solution for it. Uh, we should absolutely be engaging these people on a generalized basis to get their knowledge and to um, expand our knowledge on the topic uh, so we can help protect the guys and girls who are going out to play. Like, that's really important that we do that. Um, but this is probably just a, a, a bad, bad case of someone um, really speaking out of turn. And um, as you know, we'd have to take Johnny's word on it in, incorrectly. So, look, it's, a, it's, a, it's disappointing the week of a test match that we're talking about this. Um, sorry, Willie, to follow up? Yeah, I just want to come in and, and kind of ask you a direct question more generally. Like, and this isn't about, I suppose, Johnny Sexton per se or James Ryan or the two Welsh lads. Like, should, do, do you think someone should be playing seven days after? you know, a match like that, we're getting that kind of knock. The correct answer here is, is I don't know. Yeah. That, But if you're asking me, and I suppose I'm leaning on my own little bit of knowledge from maybe what the boxing community does. My father's on the board in the IABA. And I think they're kind of astounded by, now I, I, I recognize that obviously you're, you're going to like, People are aiming for your head for whatever it is, 48 minutes in, in a boxing ring. Well, so that's probably three rounds in the amateurs, but still, they're aiming for your head there. So you're, you're definitely, you go into that about knowing you're going to get a few shots to the head there, right? And that might not happen to you in a rugby game. But I think maybe, and not to speak on anyone's behalf, but I think the general view from a lot of people is they're kind of astounded at how quickly people get back on the pitch. I think if you get a bad knockout in boxing, they literally stand you down for, uh, I don't know the exact, but let's call it, is it like six months or something like that? It could even be more. Um, and I think, you know, while that might seem very excessive and probably not feasible, like, I mean, your, your squad would just get, get decimated. Um, you, I just don't think they'd be able to do that, first of all. Um, but whether that's the right thing, I don't know. And I think, of course, there's a difference between boxing and rugby. But just, like, should we be erring on the side of caution and just saying, well, I don't know, is... is and, and sorry, are we uh, sorry. By the way, seven days seems very arbitrary to me. I don't know what you guys think on that one. It's like is so six days is okay, seven isn't. Like, what's the basis for that? Surely someone has done some thinking on that. I'm not obviously uh, privy to that. But look, the, the 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 key things on this is we don't know. I think that's the right answer. Uh, and the key point is that we keep searching to get as close to the right answer as possible on this. Um, and we should be engaging with these people. That's that they're the people yeah. we absolutely need to engage with. Yeah, Rod, I guess, obviously, like, the lads are coming through these protocols. It's not as if they're being thrown back out there with, with, with you know, bad symptoms or anything like that. So they're, they're passing it and they, they're not showing any symptoms. So I suppose from that point of view, like, they're within the framework. I suppose people are just, just questioning, you know. It, like, I, I spoke to today and I haven't gone through it yet and, and transcribed it, but I spoke to Dr. Willie Stewart, who people may know, but he's a kind of leading expert in the field. And the piece will be in Saturday's paper and, and online. Um, but one of the things he said was that the seven day thing is really not rooted in any medical or scientific basis that as he sees it, um, it looks like it's designed for coaches to get players back, that it's the right amount of time so that, you know, you can get, you can get through a number of checks and, and, and a guy can play again the following week, unless they're obviously, you know, like if the guy's so symptomatic, if the guy, if the guy's not able to pass the test, they won't play them, but it does give, it's, it's, he can't understand the time frame under Andy. And he said, that he used the example of boxing, uh, and I'm paraphrasing at the moment, so I, I probably shouldn't do that too much. But he definitely said that the seven-day thing, he just can't get his head around it at all. And I think that's the part of the, the French medics discussion that that was valid. It was the other stuff that wasn't. And I definitely think it's part. Of, it should be part of the discussion because um, it's uncomfortable. And it, it's uncomfortable, I'm sure, for parents watching at home. I'm sure it's uncomfortable for players' families. And these tests, you know, like while they are more, I think they're more rigorous than they would have been maybe when you were coming through the academy, Luke. I think they got more rigorous as your career went on and the baseline tests that were, you know, I think Bernard Jackman spoken about how he used to be able to cheat them at the, towards the end of his career. I think that has been improved. But I do think players can still try and, and juke the system. I don't know if they can fully juke the system, but if they're, if they're being asked... Do you have any symptoms? They can, if you know, say say no. Now, I think most players at this stage are, are mature enough, and I've read enough about this to be to to take it seriously. But um, 
you know, as long as there's any, like seven days to me just seems where, too Where short the test gets juked or where you allow yourself to do that is, is creating the baseline. Yeah. So if you're trying to be cute about it at the start of the year when you're, you're asymptomatic, you know, your perfect health, you don't do so well in the test. Lowers the baseline. I, I, I did a HIV, I'm sure, I don't know if you ever did one in your career, but I did one in, as an example in front of a load of journalists. And like, I barely passed it and I hadn't played rugby in ages. Like, <laughs> it was hard. Like, walking in a straight line in front of a load of people. Like, I'm sure under pressure from a doctor, when you really want to get back out there, when your adrenaline's high, like, you have to kind of walk in a straight line on one leg. You have to do all, all these sort of different tests. Like, it's not an easy thing. It's not, a, it certainly isn't. I'm, I'm not a defender of the HA. I think during the game, are you talking about the baseline test? The, I'm talking about the one during the game. Oh, I sorry, think the, I've actually never done one. Sorry, I've never done one. Yeah, I, I did one. As a, they, did, they brought a lot of journalists into the TV one day and they, did, they, 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 they basically showed us what it was. Okay. And I was the guy who was picked out to do the kind of the kind of physical test part of it, which in the middle of the dressing room. Now, I was surrounded by my colleagues. They're all slagging me. And that's what made it hard for me. But I'm sure if your heart is racing, you really want to get back out there. There's a doctor and an independent doctor watching you. You know, like, it's going to be hard not to, like, and, and, and you're also, if you're concussed, you're not, I don't think you're going to get through that. Now, the return to play stuff is different. I was told, um, sorry, just for the listeners there, I was referring to the return to play protocols that you yeah. go through during the week. So they work off the baseline that you do, say you do the test maybe three or four times it's kind of, I'm not going to go through what go, what you do in it. It'd be kind of like a numbers test. It'd be like a shape test. Can you recognize, can you recall different things? Lasts about 45 minutes to an hour maybe to get through and get a baseline result. I was saying that if you were kind of cute enough about it, if you had a few head, head injuries, if you didn't score so well on that test, you know, it may obviously makes it easier for you to pass it when you go back. But, but that's what I was referring to versus say the one that... Bobby Henshaw or James Ryan may have done before coming back on the pitch. I've actually never done one of them roads, uh, weirdly yeah. enough. Yeah, no, I don't. That's that's what I that's what I was talking about. And and there is a bit of like they'll give you a sequence of letters or numbers, and you have to read it back to them. And like, I mean, I I, I failed I failed the civil service test on 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 some of that stuff. So like, <laughs> maybe it's just me, but uh, they um like what it's not easy is what I'm trying to say. It's like the, the, the it's not just a tick box exercise. It is taken seriously. And I remember talking to Ana Falvey who was saying. That the HIA is brilliant for actually just getting lads off the pitch because you can say to them, Look, we'll give you the test, and you might get back on. Because back, we used to see players trying to carry on when they clearly couldn't, and, that, and that's a good thing. So, like, there is some progress being made, certainly from my discussion with Willie Stewart today, which again, I, I, I will be published later in the week. There's a lot more that, that will and can be done, but he did give suggestions about things that can be done as well. That, like, if rugby takes it seriously, that can get better on it. But, like, if, his main point was, like, like, you shouldn't go out and play a sport. And four lads come off with head injuries. Like that's just not a good thing. Like I know, I know it's inevitable. It's going to happen sometimes, but it's a lot. Like, yeah, no, it's definitely worth reading that piece when it comes out this weekend. Just to move, I suppose, towards the match then itself, Luke. Um, you know, sixty-seven minutes with thir- with uh, fourteen men, rather. Uh, you know, obviously at, at this stage, everyone's kind of gone over a lot of the mistakes that were made in the end game and, and at the start for that red card. Like, what's your overall feeling heading into the French game? Like, uh, was there enough positives there for you to, to be confident that they can pick things up? Or or how are you feeling about the, the state of the team? Yeah, I, sir, I, w- I was very positive after the game. I mean, I thought they made a lot of poor errors around a key period, around a kind of 60-minute, around that kind of area. And my view on that was that that was probably... They were, could I say they're uncharacteristic? I'm going to say they are. Uh, there were some kind of silly errors I thought that could have easily come down to a bit of tiredness uh, and I kind of thought there was a 10 15 minute period where I really saw but like that's probably where the 14 men kind of show and it's hard to explain that to people because I always feel like you know like the George North try like it was such an easy run in from a position where they were very like they had them easily defended one guy steps in uh, because someone's not back in the line quick enough. so I think Henderson wasn't back in the line quick enough he'd made one or two errors before that didn't get back in the line quick enough, ended up getting back there in time, was fine, but CJ Stander came in and left James Lowe on his own on the outside. To my mind, it was just like, it was a lot of errors in a short pace, a short period, and I really felt like that was two forwards who'd put in unbelievable shit. I thought they were brilliant um, for in, in obviously Peter O'Mahony's absence. So I felt like that was really very encouraging that we, that we ended up kind of getting through that 10, 15-minute period, which obviously cost us the game. But... 
that we were able to fight our way back in through that and hang in for very lar- large periods of time and actually look to me for quite a, a large part of it, like we were in the ascendancy. Um, and I thought we looked threatening at times, given we only had 14 men. I thought there was a little bit of oomph there in the tight exchanges. We looked like we were physical. We were able to get over the gain line, which I think is going to be positive because it looks to me like we have a number of guys there who can, I think, be be dangerous if they're given opportunities. Like Gary Ringrose, I think Robbie Henshaw looked excellent again. I know it was some clever blocking and stuff for for the try for for the try, but he he's hard to stop. Jeez, he looked really good, and they took the opportunity really well. I did mention about the bench, and I thought they were brilliant. Like Ty Furlong looked brilliant for the for the portion of the game that he was on. Looked back to his best, I think. Whether he can do it for a long enough period, the thing is, I suppose maybe he doesn't need to do that because I thought Andrew Porter was very good while he was on. Kilcoyne came on, made an impact too. Like I just felt like very, very positive about lots of stuff. I thought I'd look, I've highlighted Henderson's error, but geez, I thought him and Ty Byrne were brilliant in the row. Like they were really, they were everywhere, kind of steals, you know, getting you know, slowing ball down, the line out I thought functioned a lot better. So all the things we talked about, I felt went very well, bar in the bar, sorry, barring the disaster at the start of the game with, with Pete. So I was positive about it. Mm. I, I know it was a loss and there were some silly errors by by kind of senior guys but I, I felt very positive about it Luke I just double checked but you were on the pitch when Jamie was sent off in New Zealand in 2010 weren't you I wasn't there no 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 you're not oh sorry yeah. I was looking at the wrong one so but that, uh, did you ever play for that long with 14 men in the game not that long I don't think no no I I, I trying to recall do we have one against Scarlet no it, not, in the, not in the same arena I don't even think you yeah. can compare it like in an international match you're, it's hard to explain to people, but the, the the cumulative effect of running maybe I'm going to say it's an extra five meters or ten meters a minute, um, like and obviously the collisions being bigger, you're generally in a big you know better better pitch, like better players around you. You're just so much more exposed in international level than you are in, in interpro level. You'll never know that unless you played in both, um, and and that's why I think it's very hard for me to compare. But it would have been a massive challenge, um, to try and contain. The, the, the Welsh guys but I did think they did they did a really good job of it for lar- large periods yeah so that's a, a pretty positive slant from, from Luke there Rudd. I know you know reading your piece on Monday you I suppose were a little more I suppose negative uh, you said it could be a watershed moment for Andy Farrell with regard to some of the leaders some of their performances I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't I don't know maybe it was certainly I was critical of certain parts of it I think it was clear that the team were playing for their coach and the there was a cohesiveness and an endeavour there that I, I think was possibly the best performance of the Andy Farrell era, maybe the Scotland one beforehand, in some ways, in terms of, like, with 14 men to, to, to galvanise in that way, uh, and maybe I should have wrote that the other day, because maybe, maybe it needed a bit more balance, but, like, like the, the way they galvanised, the way they kept the ball until half-time, I thought was really impressive. They took their try really well, thought they attacked the, the Welsh line out really well, thought they, their breakdown work was was much better than it had been. And, and I think the Paul O'Connell influence could be probably seen through there. I think I agree with Luke on the bench. And um, I think what let them down was their composure and their errors, which are like they, they, they're an awful habit of compounding their own errors. And this goes back to 2019. And it's a lot of the players, like the guys who peaked in 2018, that are making the errors now. And if you look at the team to finish the game, that almost made the most of Garrett Davies' horrendous error, who who drove from one end of the pitch to the other, and if Billy Burns had, had had his kicking boots with him, would have had a five-metre line to go in the game. Like, look at who was on the pitch. It was Hugo Keenan, James Lowe, uh, Jordan Larmer on the wings, uh, Henshaw Ringrose in the centre, uh, Burns and Gibson Park at, at halfback. You've got a front row of, of Furlong, uh, Kilcoyne and um, Kelleher. Second row, Burns Henderson. And then the, the two back rows where uh, Will Connors and CJ Stander, like that's not your established, that, that's a, I mean, Stander's the most experienced player there. It's not an established 14 players. And yet they were like still going at that, like that. I think a, th- a team of that experience, you might expect expect a wilt. So I think the fact that those players were on the pitch and were able to do challenge the line in that way and to go that far was really, really impressive. The way Gibson Park saw the dart up the right for Ringrose when he nearly got away from Tipperick made that super tackle. Larmer threatening the line the way he did. Byrne just carrying the game to them all the time. Kelleher with that incredible carry up the middle. The problem was when they needed their leaders to, to make the right decisions at the right times just after half time, they were kicking the ball to touch. They were knocking on. They were, they, uh, Keith Earls gave away a really cheap penalty. Like, 
they're the guys you you expect to be making the right decisions and not making mistakes. But they're the guys who are. I don't know where they are, are. They mentally scarred from the, the the fall off in 2019. Are they just not quite where they were before, and that's showing their performances? And that's where I'd be worried is that you you like he, he seems to go back to them all the time. Like I I don't as as it goes on, I'm not expecting huge changes this week. So we're trusting the same players to get it right this time. Whereas actually the younger guys were the ones who nearly rescued the game in the end. I I know Burns is one of those and he screwed up royally, but uh, you know. And that's a that ten thing is a major problem that I'm sure we'll get into, but the errors are an issue. Like Gary Ringo's tries an awful, maybe he shouldn't have tried. Although, like I've called for more ambitious plays, so maybe I shouldn't hold it against Gary Ringo's. But Connor Murray, instead of just diving on the ball and killing it, tries to flick it up Dean Henderson. I mean, there was no value in flicking it up. It was a knock on. Like it was, it was going to be a scrum, and instead it goes directly to a Welsh try. Like Connor Murray's experience enough to like to see that I know it's a pressure cooker environment but like that's when you need your experienced players to make the right decisions and there was too many of those errors across the day yeah it's a good few interesting points we'll make there Luke. one thing I'd be interested to get your opinion on obviously as as we've talked about the, the they really bound together as a 14-man unit and put in great shifts I know it was only 13 minutes but like what did you make of the opening period when they had the full complement it was the first game of 2021. You're looking to see maybe what they've been working on. Was it too short a time for you to, to clean anything? What did you make of the opening exchanges before the red card, if there's anything that you can pick up on? Weirdly enough, all my thinking has been focused on the part afterwards. So I'm genuinely kind of... Yeah. Um, yeah, look, look I, I will say, I thought it was a decent start. Like, it was obviously one loose penalty that they... I think they, you know... They they obviously were three ahead at that point as well, and that was a little bit disappointing. I think it was a loose penalty. Well, was oh, it? Manny, was it? No, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, like th- that was probably. I, I felt like we had the better of that of the, of the fifteen minute exchange anyway. Um, and I think I was pretty pissed off. I remember my feeling at the time going, like that's a disaster. Like we were going really well here. I felt like we were physical. I felt like you know when we had the ball, we looked a little bit menacing. You know, at that point, even I think was there a, a nice little break down the left, maybe that did Keenan put one out? He, he had a bad, he had a bad chip actually, probably the only bad thing he did all game. Um, so there's a few moments where I was saying, oh look, that's good. They've looked like they've created a little bit of space. They've got a little bit of go forward in the tight exchanges, kind of stuff I've I've been looking for the last while. And maybe we might have had one or maybe one steal at the defensive line out. Now I know ours wasn't perfect either, but. Um, and, and there maybe their line out throwing wasn't great, but I felt like oh, there's a few things there I'm liking already, um, and that was probably my 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 feelings rather than a real assessment of of that uh, of the game at that point, um, and just obviously general disappointment. But like there was, to my mind, lots of really good stuff. I I, I want to touch on one thing that Rudd said. I thought that was really poignant to me. I think on reflection was the cohesiveness. I really liked even at the end Billy Burns. There was no I didn't see many other guys kind of, there was a little bit of disappointment, obviously, but they were straight over to him. They knew, like, I, I like that. They looked like a tight-knit unit, which is good. Um, straight away afterwards, no one was, was you know, he knows the guys knows he's made a mistake, but that's their good signs. Like, when people are straight over to you and there was five or six guys around him straight away, then maybe he's just a really good bloke and everyone fell for him. But I thought, thought they looked really tight-knit. Um, and I think that's really good. Um the, the point, the other thing maybe that Rudd said that I thought was very interesting, which I probably agree with, is maybe the errors. I think that's something that, I think there's more growth in that area for them. I think they're they're not making life easy for themselves. I, I had probably put that down originally when I commented on the game there to you, Will, uh, to probably tiredness. I think there's a buildup of look like silly errors to me. And, and I don't know, it's hard to quantify if that was, just, you know, 14 men. When you're tired, you make poor decisions, you know, the Connor Murray one, maybe uh, the ring rose offload, the Henshaw, or sorry, uh, Henderson dropping it, then the lazy back into the line from Henderson, which caused Standard to probably make a mistake he shouldn't have done either. Uh, I mean, that was a very easy try, um, and maybe the, the the James Low one as well. He just panicked a little bit on the uh, for the other try, which was a lovely finish. He he didn't need to come in there; they were perfectly lined up, and and um, I think Gary Ringrose was a little bit late to his guy. And the defense is to come in at an angle at that point, and they never, you know, you, you, but an experienced player would even throw the dummy out. I always remember Drico did it, throw the dummy out and come back in and hit your guy. But it does buy you an extra second. So there was probably those errors I thought were like, they're bad errors. 
yeah, just, wondering... just on the just on the air account, like it, it's kind of been a feature of a lot of the poor performances. You think to this back to the Stade de France, like Jacob Stockdale made a few errors. Missed touches are not a new thing either. Like that's been a feature of a lot of these uh, poor performances over the last year or so. You know, likewise, if you think back to like you know England in Twickenham last year, like ball, bouncing balls in the backfield not dealt with. Like it's Rod, you kind of touched on it that like it is a feature of some of these poor performances that. that like avoidable errors, frustrating errors that you just that were just missing from the Joe Schmidt era for the vast majority. Maybe the final year they crept in a small bit. Yeah, I mean, like I think it was two missed touches in the All Blacks quarterfinal. You know, I mean, um, Omani almost single-handedly dragged Ireland back into that game with a turnover and then a lineout steal, and then he flung himself into rook recklessly and gave away a penalty on the five-meter line in, in the all in the World Cup quarterfinal, like. These are, uh, you know, Sexton missed, I think, two, 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 two touches in that game. So this goes back even that far, you know. So they brought in Gary Keegan as a performance coach. And, I mean, your dad probably knows him, Luke, because, you know, the IABA league. But, like, Gary Keegan's really, really highly respected. He's in there uh, to replace Enda McNulty, who left the setup, who I know you know as well. Um, I think that's what he's there for, is, the, is that kind of high-performance mentality aspect of things and trying to fix these moments of mental weakness for want of a better phrase that are cre- creeping in and and um as i said like it's just lads go i mean it, it's a step up in, in, in intensity it's 40 men and i do think half time kind of killed them i think they had this flow and this tightness before half time and maybe they relaxed a little bit at half time and, and it didn't get back to that level after half time i don't know you know maybe i'm clutching straws a little bit but it, they, it was done 10 minutes after half time is when they lost the game really they just lost the control that they had did you think, and this is maybe just for both of you, actually, just as a conversational point, did did you, I'll go to you first, Will, I think, did you think that the pace of play um, after the red card, we actually looked very much in the ascendancy, but did you think the pace of play was a little bit naive? Yeah, I saw you tweet that at the time, it's an interesting one, like, because... When they're t- when your tails are up like that, it's hard to take your foot off the gas when you're in the ascendancy. Like they were they were making inroads, they were they were making good ground. Like and like carrying has been a bit of a problem. Like you know, recently for this team, they were really punching holes. Like the try I was going to say was so well worked. Like you had Henshaw's great break on their figure in the support line. Healy's clear out. It was really fast paced rugby. I take your point. Did they expend a bit of energy? But then I still go back to the, the choice in the second half where there's very avoidable errors. I know your point is a valid one. Were they fatigued? Is, is that, that what, what I'm getting? Is at? that what generates it? Yeah. Possibly so. It's hard one to yeah, know. It's hard to know. Yeah. I still feel like they had enough of the game that that shouldn't have been an issue. And I think I think they tried to switch to slight, a slight bit of energy con- conservation in that period after half time. But they, like their kicks were their kicking was poor. So they kicked by, like if they kicked uh, more accurately that strategy would have worked because they would have put Wales under pressure. They would have squeezed Wales and played in the right areas. But there was one went like completely off radar. One went straight to touch from what I remember. Well, there was one box kick from just outside the 22 that Murray way overcooked. And I even, I just don't even know what the and top was. And started really well in that regard. Yeah. And that's why, that's where my frustration is that the, the, um, like, I think that there's nothing wrong with that strategy. And I think you're right. You can't play like that for 80 minutes. So they, they tried to play without the ball for a while and, and play for a bit of territory and just take the pressure off the ball carriers. For, for a while, but they were they were inaccurate when they did it. And it just instead of pressurizing Wales, it gave Wales a foothold in the game. And Wales, for all that they're struggling at the moment, um so, like like they still have good players. And and you know, I know we've pointed out the errors, but like Navidi's pass was class, North did really well to score. Like Reese Amit's finish was was sensational. You give these guys a sniff, they're gonna score because they are good players. Um we gave a sucker an even break on Saturday on, on Sunday. Um from, first with the red card and then even with 14 men, they lost control when they had it. And maybe that's a, that's a result of having 14 men. It's very hard to analyze the game without the red card keeping coming back up over and over again. And, and that's that's uh, that's why it's a really weird game to analyze. And Luke, in terms of this weekend, then like there's obviously a change to be made in the back row with Peter Romani's absence. You know, other possible inclusions like the 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 oomph the Kelleher gave off the bench. Rob Herring didn't have a good game. Does Jordan Lammer possibly come in for Keith Earls? Keith Earls didn't have a great game either. Like, would you freshen it up in that regard, or would you just make the change in the back row and go again, provided Sexton and Ryan are, are good to go? I think I'll go again. I, I thought Will Will Connors was very good, um, and I thought he I, the last time I, I hadn't seen a huge amount of him before Tolman, if I'm being completely honest. And we spoke about him. We spoke to him actually on the show. I thought he was really good again the weekend. I, th- I think he's a good option for them. He's a big guy too, so. 
uh, you know, you'd hope that, you know, with O'Connell's guidance, he might actually end up being something similar to Pete maybe in the air because he's a great athlete. And he's a nice ball handler as well from the sevens days. I think I like that too. So uh, I definitely, sorry, I'd certainly give him a shot anyway. Um, uh, I think obviously the conversation is, do you bring Conan on, who I thought looked very good against the Scarlets, but it's just so hard to gauge in those games. Um, and then and move Sander back to, to, to six and leave uh, Van der Fleer in there. I don't know. It, it's, it's, hard, it's a hard question to ask in that respect, but I don't think you lose a huge amount with, with any of those guys, to be honest. And that's probably not the area of concern. Um, you know, you I, I thought the two guys in the second row were brilliant. Um, but I think it probably comes down to, you know, do they have the guy who's going to give you the... Well, does 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 Byrne have the weight against the big French pack in the scrum? Um, that's the question we've been asking ourselves. Now, off the back of that performance, pretty hard to say. Well, let's... We have to give him a shot, at least. Uh, I, I would think. He thought he was brilliant. Like, he was everywhere. Um, but if it's a slower game... Um, in bad conditions, how would he do against a really heavy pack? We don't know. We know Ryan is well built for that. He can do his, he can have a quiet game and do, you know, 20, 20 tackles, 20 rooks, you know, 20 carries. He just seems to be able to do that. Um, and, and even in a, in a, you know, kind of grindy game. So they're probably the questions we need to, that might be worth answering on the, on the weekend by just playing the guys who finished the game. Uh, that, that might be the way to do it uh, and not make too many changes. And obviously Johnny Sexton is an interesting one. Um, I, I I nearly think I probably wouldn't have played Burns if this is going to be a weird thing to say. I probably wouldn't have played Burns if he hadn't missed the kick to the corner. But I'm less inclined to 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 drop him and not give him a chance after the kick. After he missed the kick, I know it's a weird thing to say. Um, because I feel like it would really be like a double blow for him. Um, and I think there's certainly promise there. Uh, whether he's the answer, I, I still believe he isn't. But uh, you know, is now the time to to stick the boot in, um, or do you say, well, he was the guy we chose a second place after Sexton. Let's give him a shot uh, at the very least, and let's back one of our guys um, and not completely decimate him, which it might well do if you if you if you dropped him. Um, Burn certainly, to my mind, you know, as I said, without the kick to the corner, I would have picked Burn anyway because I, I feel like he's got a really good head in his shoulders. He's very settled. He, you know, in big moments, I'm thinking the Ulster kick a couple of years back in the hiding cup, he seems to be a guy who rises to the occasion and is fairly unflustered uh, um, and might have been a good guy to have in the pitch at that time last weekend. But maybe you stick with your decision there. As regards the back three, Keenan was brilliant. Surprised I haven't mentioned him before now. I just thought he was so good and I just love the tackling. Uh, it's so good to have someone back there who can dig you out of a hole. The tackle on, on half penny was brilliant uh, five metres out from the line. And he had one or two brilliant ones in the first half as well. I just thought he was outstanding. So I hope he continues there. Earls and Larmer, that's that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, certainly there's a case there to have a look. But I thought James Lowe wasn't without fault either. So I, I didn't think both wings, you know, had 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 great games. And there's certainly room for improvement. We know how good both of those guys can be. Um, so whether I make any changes there, I'm not 100% sure. But... Um, is certainly a question that they'll be asking themselves this week is do they try and get Larmer in there somewhere just for the attacking flair? Um, but I don't know, was there a big difference between him and Keith Earls there? Not hundred percent. Yeah, well, just before we finish up on Scotland and England, what you know, what are your thoughts on the on the selection uh, dilemmas that Luke raised there? Um the question I'd have is do you put Ty Burn to six and play Ian Henderson and James Ryan, or do you bring Reese Ruddick in? Um I'd probably bring Reese Ruddick in personally. Depends on like Burma's getting you know treated for cramp towards the end. Did he did he empty himself last weekend? Does he need does he become part of that bench, you know, coming off, you know, for the last 25 minutes, half an hour? Do you break up that bench or do you go, hang on a second, that worked incredibly well. Let's leave all those guys there. They played so well together. Let's leave all those guys there. And we've got a, a serious like Eddie Jones style finishers unit coming on who know each other. Okay, Hansi Furlong being able to start start the game. Kilcoin for Healy. I could I could see that, but Kilcoin was so fresh off the bench and made some big hits. Keller, I think, is a better hooker than, than Herring, who made a couple of mistakes, but is still a better thrower. And like Kelleher, again, like if you want to win against France, you need impact off the bench. So um yeah, like Larmer even comes on against like is Larmer better against fresh defense at the start, or is Larmer better against tired lads with 20 minutes to go when he when his footwork is, is even more able to penetrate like like Earls I think could be at risk for Andrew Conway rather than Jordan Lammer in, in some ways depending on how fit Conway is because 
Conway does a lot of the nuts and bolts that Arrows does, but he's six years younger and he's probably, you know, the one for the, the present and the future. Whereas I thought Arrows looked a little bit of expense, a spent force last, last Sunday, to be honest. Um, centers were brilliant. Um, I can't see him changing the halfbacks if Sexton passes all his protocols. Um, I think he'll leave the, yeah, the tie five is a weird one. I'd like the freshen up, but uh, going back to, to, to Rudick, like he's the guy Lencer always picked against the French lads. I raved about him in this podcast before. He is power, like he's he, he's well able to live in that company, and he's never started a Six Nations match. And I think he, he deserves to, like, he's the most likely like for like a replacement for Reese. Like, it's hard to see Conan come straight in from outside and gone straight into the team, even though I really like Jack Conan and I, I prefer a proper number eight. And I think Standard's a six and a half, but I think. I think Reese for for Omahani is one change, and you might see something in the back three, but I'm not sure. Yeah, no, it's definitely interesting, and I think it's it's a Friday announcement this week, so another few days to go. Just before we we finish up on Scott Lehman, there's a word on Ty Brent's performance. Like you know, we talked about him a lot over the last couple of weeks, and how I suppose this was his big chance in international rugby, and to you know start a huge game. And I know he he was kind of interviewed for the Sunday paper, so he got the big build up, and he was talking about how nervous he was the last Cardiff game under Joe Schmidt and how badly it went. And so I just thought it was great to see him deliver such a great performance against his old team, you know, some teammates in some regards. I think it could be the real making of him as an international uh, second rower or, or back row, even if that shakes out that way. But I thought I was finishing up then on Twickenham, Luke, and, you know, how, how wrong we, we were. Maybe Rudd will take credit of it a little bit. But in terms of not only did Scotland win, but, you know, they only won by, you know, one score on the end. But it, it, it could have been out of sight with the amount of possession and chances they had. I thought it was... The worst game I thought I've seen Finn Russell ever play. I thought he was terrible. I thought he was terrible. I thought everything he did, I was like, "Geez, he's really trying, <laughs> trying to, to to ruin this for Scotland." Um, I thought they were brilliant. Yeah, like I, I thought they never really let England. Um, they gave them no wins into the game. Like I never really felt. I felt like they could have won it a lot more comfortably if they got the kicks. And even in the first half, they had a scrum where. Like somewhat of Finn Russell's quality, he does it week in, week out with the kind of short kicking game, the chip over the top that went dead. Now, I know the wingers partly to blame too, um, but he had acres of space to put that into and he, he put like put it dead. I thought it was really poor. Um, so I thought they could have been out of sight, if I'm being honest. And I thought they made it way more difficult than, than they needed to make it. But look, I was delighted for them. Like 1983 is a very, very long time uh, to have gone, you know, s- since their last win there. Um, particularly when they've had a few weird ones, like a few, you know, they did that funky draw. Was it a draw a couple of years ago? They did a few weird, mm. kind of, you know, over the years, um, and they just seemed to nearly shoot themselves in the foot um, so many times. I thought they were really, really good. Um, thought Hogg looked outstanding. He was brilliant. Um, his kicking game when it's on fire, like it's so hard to contain. It's so like he just kicks the ball a mile. Um, I thought he was so good at the back for them, and the Scottish. Pack. I mean, um, Adams is just Hamish Adams, just a nightmare. Like he just, England didn't really have an answer for him. I didn't think he was, you know, even when he, even his carrying was so robust for for doesn't look like a very big guy, but on the deck he was just a nightmare for them to deal with. And their tight five, um, I thought did a really really good job. Um, looked to me like England missed Mako Vunapola. Uh, he looks like a huge loss to that team. Every time I think, you know, I'm always talking about Billy Vunapola. Maybe it's because he's more visible, but. I thought uh, the more I see of it, the more I think. Even with Saracens without him, he's such a big player for any team he plays in. I, I don't think I, I give him the credit. I, I've always probably given it to Billy because he's such a huge man. But I looked like they really missed him. Even at scrum time, I thought they just looked a little bit shaky. So um, interesting to see if, see if they can get a, get into their groove pretty quickly. We did say last week that they hadn't played well in the autumn. Really, they'd won, but they hadn't really performed very well. Um, can't say I saw that coming. I, I will admit to that too. I, I just think I've been let down by Scotland too many times. But yeah, it, was great. Uh, it really opens up the competition now. It really opens it up. So hopefully Scotland can kick on um, uh, with a few good performances and maybe a result or two. No, big time. And I'll also admit that I was hoping England were going to score at the end because I really did want to like have my <laughs> prediction my face so spectacularly but they didn't so it worked out well in the end uh, Rudd yeah so as, as, as good as Scotland were England were just like the, England didn't even really come close to scoring a try it was it was really surprising just quite how how poor they were overall yeah they like they looked like it, like you know the premiership was cancelled for two weeks you know sorry the premiership didn't fix games for during that European cancellation period looks like that was a mistake from an English rugby point of view Saracens players haven't played since December 5th, apart from Billy, who played a friendly against Ealing, but he looked out of shape. He looked like the kind of guy who who needs to play games on a regular basis. And I was listening to a couple of English 
podcast this week and they're saying he hasn't played well in a good while, you know, and, and they became so like Eddie Jones becomes such a slave to this idea that he, the team who kicks more wins more wins the game, which statistically has been proven, but they looked like they didn't have a second idea. Like you can't complain about um, not having any ball if you kick it away all the time. You know, that's, you know, you, you show no invention um, when you do have the ball and you show no ambition. You can't just turn it on when you're chasing the game. And we saw Owen Farrell spurning that massive overlap on, on his left-hand side. As an example of that, like Owen Farrell's a better player than that. Um, but he's out of practice and he's playing, he's kind of a slave to a game plan that's, like it's works when all your players are all your forwards are dominant and you're able to basically get into field position and grind down opposition. But if they're not at it, there was no like second way of winning the game. So um I was really I wouldn't say disappointed, but I, I, I was underwhelmed by England. Um and I didn't see that coming. I thought Scotland could take them just because it's a mad competition and there's always a shock or two. Uh, I had no great faith behind my 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 wild prediction last week. And <laughs> but England, I mean, they're just lucky they're playing Italy this week, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, it's a funny one because, like, in one sense, I've heard English press, you know, oh, we'd like to see a few new faces to, to see what the other guys can do. But then at the same time, the Sarsons guys need that game time. So he kind of does need to run it back pretty much with, with what he has. Yeah, and but like, the, I mean, English, English, like, having 12, I'm so always so jealous of English journalists because they've got 12 clubs rather than four. So they can, like, they, they can go up to sale and or say go to Exeter and talk to Sam Simmons and ask Sam Simmons coach you know or uh, the like, you know should he play for England and they'll write the headlines then you know someone says Simmons should play for England and, and then they go do it for Cipriani and they go around place. they've got loads of options and um there's always a cause to celebrate over in England because there's so many players playing across the country and like play, you know Marcus Smith and different tens that they can call on Joe Simmons is thinking of rather than Sam's brother but yeah, both you know, of them <laughs> the, the but like they're they're both in form and they're not getting in because Eddie kind of has a very fixed club England kind of mentality and these are his guys and like Ben Youngs can't get out of the team like no matter what he does they just won't pick anyone else like he said he's going to stick with Farrell I can understand that Farrell's been his you know the Farrell's been his warrior captain for for a while but if those lads are, aren't playing well he hasn't really groomed any options or successors obviously he can put Ford in and change the way they play a little bit but yeah. It's it's funny you lose one game and and all of the little things that Eddie Jones was getting away with and the things he was saying that people kind of let slide before, and suddenly people start kind of coming out against him a little bit. So um, yeah, it makes my life a bit more interesting when England lose. Yeah, and overall it was an unbelievable first weekend and just in terms of like absorbing contests and what it means for the competition. Like I just did some permutations earlier and there's a not too far-fetched sequence of results that could have us going into the final weekend with five of the six teams barring Italy in contention to win, which I think Wales have to beat Scotland and Maryville this weekend is one of the key ones that you'd be like, maybe, maybe not. But it does show us how tight it could be going forward. Um, we might just finish up then looking ahead to the weekend. Prediction time, Luke. Uh we have Italy, England in Twickenham. We have Scotland, Wales. I'd love to see those numbers, the the, the John Nash sequence there. Oh, that, yeah. I'm trying to see if I have them on my piece of paper, but I... <laughs> no, I... <laughs> Sorry. I have, the, I have the twine coming out of the wall, like the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, you know. Just, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we have Scotland, Wales, Murrayfield, and then we have Ireland, France in the Aviva. Like, how do you see this weekend shaking out? Um, I, think, I think Scotland will beat Wales because I just... I'm basing that not on Scotland's win, but I just think um, Murrayfield, no atmosphere, uh, just um, maybe evens things up a little bit. But I think Scotland will win that one because I think Wales are poor. And I, I didn't I didn't see a huge amount from Wales. I think they probably have a little bit more quality than Scotland, but um, I didn't see enough from them to... I'm basing that on Wales. I didn't think they looked great against us. I feel like we would have beaten them by more than the margin. I, I actually predicted, uh, which is kind of five or six points, I think, um, if we had had the full complement for 80 minutes, um, us, um, I think we, uh, I think we'll win this weekend. Yeah, I mean, look, I do think Johnny Sexton could be a big loss, but I think we're hard to beat at home, uh, even without a crowd. I thought I saw lots of positive stuff that I think if they can produce and um, and and deliver, I think they'll be, I think they'll be able to contain the French guys as well. I think defensively. There's a few bits. I, I, I'm putting it down to having 14 men on the pitch, but I thought for large for other parts of the game, I thought we looked really good defensively, bar maybe a couple of bad errors. And if they can cut down the penalty count just ever so slightly, I'm talking two or three penalties, I think we'll win it. I think they'll give away enough. They'll give up enough opportunities and they'll be ill-disciplined enough to give us chances if we kick our goals. I think we'll win. Um, uh, do we even need to talk about England, France, England, Italy? 
No, probably not. I think they're one to one thousand to win. Off the back of that, we could talk about should we have a relegation uh, in in Six Nations every time Italy come up. I just don't know why. Um, I, I yeah, I don't know how Italian supporters go on. To be honest with you, it's depressing. Yeah. I, f- I found my numbers that I crunched earlier here. I'm just going to read it out quickly in case anyone's interested. So if everyone obviously beats Italy, we're working off that premise. And then if Wales beat Scotland, Scotland beat Ireland, Ireland beat France, France beat Scotland, England beat Wales and France, then all five teams go into the final day with a chance of winning the title. Provided they pick up losing bonus points in those games too. Losing bonus points, okay. Yeah. So in the games they lose it. So then you'd have a five-way shootout on the final day. We can we can dream, but regardless, it looks like it'll probably be two or three teams. Hopefully, road. Maybe you can uh, sail us off into the sunset with your predictions. Um, well, it's supposed to be four four centimeters of snowfall on Saturday after on Sunday afternoon after a night of snowfall. So I mean, I think they'll be doing well if they get a game in at all. TV, but it hasn't really come up yet. No, this... don't say that. Don't say that. Oh. Rude. <laughs> Jesus, so, Rudd. That's my way of getting out of trying to back up my predictions from last week. Um, I think Wales beat Scotland because I think Scotland will 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 sleepwalk into this thinking they're the best team in the world, and uh, they didn't beat Wales that convincingly in 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 in, in uh, back in November. They did make a bit of history by doing it, but they weren't that much better than them. And Wales, while they're average in many ways, they've really they've dangerous players who will take opportunities when they come. So. Um, Partly that's based on Scotland's flakiness. But anyway, um, I think I, I'm finding Ireland-France really hard to call. Um, partly because we haven't seen the teams yet. France were like ridiculously impressive against Italy, but Italy were so bad. And like I quite liked the way Italy went about it and played some nice rugby and showed loads of kind of uh, intent in the way they went about it. But it was so loose and badly executed that it just handed France try after try after try. And it was like a DuPont at a field day and he's brilliant. Uh, like he's, he's clearly just absolutely world-class at the moment. Um, but France haven't won in Dublin in, like, in, in a while. The only experience these players have is getting actually hockeyed by Joe Schmidt's team in 2019. Like, it was the best performance of that year. And I know they're two years down the line from there, but I'm still not... I, I think they're really good, and by 2030 they'll be excellent. But I don't, I'm not convinced they're completely finished article now. And Ireland, out half a side, they've, they've like a 20... 20- any one man outfit that are really really maybe out half and starting hookers where I'd have have my, my my doubts, but like there's a pretty good chance of an 80 minute performance there with that bench coming off. You know, hopefully James Ryan is okay and like he was brilliant for 20 minutes before he got injured. That's like it was a double blow losing Omani and then Ryan. And like they kind of have to win Ireland. Like if you lose this, you're heading into Italy on the back of two defeats that are not reflective of where you kind of are, unless like unless they play really badly. Like if they lose another tight one. It's pretty pretty cruel on them because they played quite well in 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 defeat and and kind of undermine themselves with their errors. If they make those kind of bad errors again, they're in trouble. But if they can cut that out and bring the same level of physical intent and decent attacking play with fifteen men on the pitch, I think they can do it. So uh, yeah, uh, France to edge a narrow one is where I'll come down on it because I think France have better attacking players. But I'm really not convinced by myself. I've probably taught myself out of that there. Well, my prediction is a massive snowstorm that cancels all the rugby and we just get even more miserable yeah. than we already are. Right. Uh, but it's set up to be a great weekend. Luke, Rudd, thanks so much for joining me. Cheers, guys. That's all we have time for on the left wing this week. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with another podcast reviewing all the Six Nations action. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>